You know, this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Easter, of course, is my favorite Sunday of the year. For obvious reasons, we celebrate the fact that Jesus not only died for our sin on the cross, he rose from the dead on the third day. An historically verifiable miracle that changes everything. So Easter is my favorite Sunday. But today's my second favorite Sunday because it is the launch of our annual Be Rich campaign. And if you're new to our church, welcome. You have picked an awesome day to join us. And you're going to see through this Sunday and through the next few weeks what a generous church this is in giving away uh, our resources to help other people in need. And we are a generous church all throughout the year. This is just a time of the year where we highlight and amplify our generosity by focusing on some key needs right here in our community. And I say that we're a generous church because through the budget that you adopt every year, the way you direct the dollars that you donate to this church, because you make those decisions where those dollars are going to go, you are impacting lives all around the world. In fact, tonight we have our annual family meeting. It's our annual business meeting where we will discuss the budget for 2021. And uh, you'll see tonight that in that budget, uh, there is a significant portion of dollars going to help meet the needs of people. And we invite you to be here tonight at 630 if you're a part of our church family. And today, though, we want to talk about what it means to be rich. And maybe if you're new to this, you're saying, Really, this church is talking about wanting to be rich? I mean, how self-centered can that be? But let me, let me take you to a passage of Scripture that will help you understand where we get the title from this campaign, Be Rich. The passage of Scripture I want to take you to today is 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to look today at verses 17, 18, and 19. And in this passage of Scripture, we discover an important truth that God wants you to enjoy and to employ your resources. That all that He's blessed you with, He wants you to enjoy it and He wants you to employ it for the good of other people and to show His love to other people. And part of doing that is what we're going to talk about today. Now, this letter is really just a letter written by the Apostle Paul, probably in the year A.D. 63. Uh, Paul, a missionary, was writing this letter to the pastor of the church in the city of Ephesus. In that day, Ephesus was a port city, a very major uh, city. In fact, there are many ancient ruins that you can still go through today in the old city of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. But Paul was writing to this young preacher named Timothy to encourage him about leading his congregation. And so whenever we read this letter, we're really, we're really looking into the life of a congregation like ours in the first century. And here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul encourages, among other things, for this pastor to teach to his congregation. So he's saying, all right, pastor, here's what you ought to be teaching. Here's what you ought to be preaching. 1 Timothy chapter 6 Verse 17, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them. In other words, encourage them, command them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The Apostle Paul says, 
Pastor, I'm going to tell you, it is important as the spiritual leader of that congregation to help people understand God's will for their life. Not just in their marriage, not just in their parenting, not just in their interactions with people outside the faith of Jesus Christ, but you also should talk to them about how to handle the resources that they've accumulated in this life. And this is not a teaching or preaching time in order to get something from the people of God. It's because you want something for the people of God. This is not about the church wanting something from you. It's the church wanting something for you. Wanting you to experience the love of God, the blessings of God, and to be a part of the purpose of God in this world by how you enjoy the resources He's given you and how you employ, put to work the resources God has given you. Now, if you're like me, some of you are looking at this verse and saying, I could have stayed home today because this has nothing to do with me. Paul says, as for the rich, that's not me. This, is, this has nothing to do with me. But I promise you, if a first century Christian could see how we live, our lifestyle in America would be unimaginable. They could not imagine the luxuries and the wealth and the health and the standard of living and the freedoms that we enjoy. It would blow their mind and they would say, uh, yeah, you are one of the rich. You need to listen to this passage of Scripture. But even in our day, it has been said, if you earn $40,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world if you earn $48,000 a year, you're in the top uh, 1% of wage earners in the world. Let's just admit it. Most of us are richer than what we realize. And, and the way you can understand that or, or illustrate that is go on a trip to some of the other countries in the world and sit down with people who are living in poverty and explain to them your problems. You know, that line in Starbucks was so long for me to get my soy latte. They're going, really? Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting there in my car. Your car? Yeah, I'm sitting there in my car waiting on my soy latte. They're just going to be blown away by the standard of living that you're talking about. If you have a car, if you have cars, you're rich. If you live in an air-conditioned home, you're rich. If you've got a pantry and a refrigerator and a freezer full of food, you are rich. Listen, we could go on and on, but compared to millions, billions of people around the world, let's just be honest, we're rich. And no matter where you are, there are going to be people ahead of you who have more than you. And you're looking at them saying, man, I want to be like them. But there are many people who are looking at you saying, I would love to have what that person has. So he says, as for the rich in this present age, because there's another age coming when Christ returns and we stand before him, but as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Now, Paul is not reprimanding rich people. There's nothing wrong with having more of the things of this world. Christianity is not opposed to people being rich, the faith of Jesus Christ, however, is intimately concerned about the motives and the methods of gaining riches. And so there's no condemnation here 
of rich people. Some people, I think, have this misconception that the rich are the evil people, that they must have gotten it by defrauding people. They must have gotten it by cheating people. And that's just not always the case. In the first century and in the 21st century, there are many people who have more than you do because perhaps they received an inheritance from their family. And there's nothing wrong with leaving a legacy to the next generation that is built on hard work and ingenuity and wise planning and saving and investing. I don't know of any family that would not want to leave an inheritance to bless the generation behind them. Some people get rich because they worked hard and they, they made wise decisions. Some people, though, work hard and make wise decisions and they still struggle. I'm not saying that if you're not rich, you must not have worked hard. You, you must not have made good decisions. No, but I am saying there are some people who are rich because they just worked hard. In fact, some people saw a need and they said, you know, I see a need for a product or a service. I can meet that need. I can do something about that. And it becomes a win-win. They provide a product or a service that meets a need. Another person gives their hard-earned money because they need that product or their service. And it's a win-win. In fact, capitalism has done more to lift billions of people out of poverty in the last 100 years than any other scheme of finance. Because it's a win-win situation when it's done right. I have a need you meet that need, I'll pay you for it. I remember when my dad came home uh, when I was a teenager and he said, well, I quit my job today. What? <laughs> I quit my job and I'm going to start my own company. And he started a construction company. And I remember going with him to his CPA's office and he said, you're crazy. This is the worst time in the economy to be starting a new business. Uh, most new businesses don't succeed. But my dad put everything our family had on the line to start his new business. And he said, I'm going to build a business that gives people quality construction at a competitive price with integrity because I'm going to put my name on this company. A year later, unlike most businesses, my dad had not gotten rich, but he had turned a profit and put some money in the bank and paid off all of his debts. And his CPA said, boy, was I wrong. And when you ask my dad after that first year, how did it go starting your new business? My dad said, I work harder, I earn less, and I could not be happier. Because he was pouring his lifeblood into something. And he has employed so many people through that construction company that my brother now owns and operates. Because if you ever saw me swing a hammer, you would say, keep to preaching, Ricky. <laughs> you have found your calling. But that company, that company is a win-win situation. It's not the enemy. Christianity is not opposed to being, people being rich. People misquote that verse of Scripture all the time. It's, they say, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Mon the love of money is the root of all evil. And Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be prideful. Richer does not mean better. Just because you have more of the things of this world doesn't make you better than other people in this world. And there's a danger that people have as they increase in the resources of this world is they start thinking that their life is better than someone else's life. That they're superior to other people. And that is not true. And he warns, he says to Timothy, warn the rich about being haughty. 
nor are they to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. He says you need to also warn those people who have more of the things of this world not to put their confidence in the things of this world. What happens to a person who has invested all of their hopes and dreams and confidence and ambition in material possessions when those material possessions are gone? If you have put all of your hope in the stuff of this world and the stuff of this world, which is notorious for sprouting wings and flying away, and it disappears, where does that leave you? Leaves you hopeless. Leaves you defeated. And Paul says, no, no, rather than put your hope and your confidence in the uncertain riches of this world, put your hope in God, who richly provides all things for us to enjoy. Don't put your hope and confidence in your provisions. Put your hope and confidence in your provider. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the God of Psalm 46 who is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Though the mountains be thrown into the midst of the sea, though the earth quakes, though the sea trembles, we will not lose hope because the God of Jacob is with us. My confidence is in Him, not in my stuff. Listen, if you live by the stock market, you may die by the stock market. You better put your confidence in God. Because even though you may lose everything and you may become penniless as a Christian, you're never hopeless. So, Put your confidence in God. And, and notice he says, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. One of the best things that we could learn as human beings, you don't have to be a Christian to, to need to learn this and to benefit from this, but Christians ought to be setting the example for this. But one of the best things that we can learn is gratitude and contentment. Listen, whatever you have today, sometimes you can't even enjoy it because you're thinking about what you don't have. Can't even enjoy this that you have that so many people would love to have. Maybe it's a thing, maybe it's a possession, or maybe it's a relationship, or maybe it's a country in which you get to live, or maybe it's your health, or maybe it's some friends you have, and you can't even really enjoy what you have because you're constantly looking at what you don't have. God wants you to enjoy what he's given you. And listen, rather than letting what you have lead you to pride, it ought to lead you to praise. God, thank you for what I've got. Thank you for letting me enjoy my resources. Thank you for all the blessings of life that you've given me. I, I still want to be ambitious. I still want to work hard. I still want to plan for the future, but I want to enjoy what you've given me. And I think there's a key to Happiness when we learn gratitude to God and contentment with what God has given us. But, but notice what else Paul tells Timothy, the pastor of that church, to preach to the congregation. He, he also tells him uh, in, in verse 18, he says that God wants you to enjoy your resources, but he also wants you to employ your resources. He wants you to put your resources to work. He wants you to do something with your stuff that not only benefits you, 
but other people. Now, now don't take my word for it. He spells out the duty of those who are rich in verse 18. He says, they are to do good. And here's where we get the name of this campaign. And this is a campaign that hundreds of churches in their own communities participate in. So it's not just us. But they are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, this sermon today is not about a get-rich-quick scheme. This is not a health and wealth message. This is about God's already blessed you. He wants you to enjoy it, but he also wants you to employ it. Do good with it. In fact, if you want to be rich, be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. God wants you to put your wealth to work to help other people. And the present tense of the verbs here inform us that these are ongoing duties for our lives. This is not a month-long campaign and then we can get back to living for ourselves. This is how we are to live every moment of every day. This is the philosophy of our life. This ought to be the ambition of our life, that I want to have a life that does good. And not only does good, but I want to be rich in good works. I don't want to just do good, which means I'm doing something for the benefit of another person. I want to be rich in doing good works. I don't want to see how little good I can do and still have a clear conscience. I, I don't want to see how little good I can do and be a good Christian. I don't want to see how little I can do. I want to see how can I be more generous in doing good, rich lavishly supplied in doing good for other people. And not only do I want to do good and be rich in doing good works, I want to be generous, not stingy. And I want to be ready to share, not reluctant to share, not coerced to share. It's one of the first lessons we learned in kindergarten. Sharing is good. And we ought to learn that lesson for life, that we should be ready to share. Now, listen... This is Christian compassion, not communism. This is not forcing people. Paul didn't say to Timothy, you go and you take what they've got and you give it to somebody else. No, no. The Christian attitude is, God, you've given this to me to enjoy and I thank you for it. But you also have given it to me to employ it for something good, to help another person created in your image. And I want you to lead me and guide me into the good works you want me to be a part of. I want you to lead me and guide me with an attitude of, of generosity and being willing to share. This is not coercion. This is Christian compassion. This is the church at her best. And this is what the world will see that makes a difference. They may look at us and say, I don't believe what those people believe about Jesus Christ. I don't believe what they believe about the Bible. But I can't argue with how they treat other people. I can't argue with how they help meet the needs of other people. I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. And I'm sorry I couldn't, but I was either watching a YouTube video several years ago or maybe it was in one of my my classes, I just can't remember, but we were watching a clip of someone who was an atheist, and, and he was in a conversation with other atheists, and, and I'm not knocking atheists, this is not to down atheists, but they were basically just 
talking about why they believe there is no God and how foolish it is, in their opinion, to believe that there's God and that God exists. And finally, one of the atheists in the conversation spoke up and he said, time out. He said, in my travels around the world, during times of difficulty and trouble, everywhere I go, when there's war, when there's famine, when there's a flood or some other natural disaster, I find Christians there helping people. I find Christians there solving problems and ministering and, and solving needs and meeting needs of people. He said, I think we need to step back and give these people a little credit. It's not just that they talk about what they believe. They actually put their beliefs into practice. And I wish I could find that clip because I thought to myself then, that's it. That's the point. Whether you ever believe like I believe or not, we can argue about that all day long, but you can't argue with good works. You can't argue with the heart of compassion. You can't argue with people who are wanting to do good in our community. And that is what I love about this congregation. You guys have been so passionate, so compassionate, and so generous over the years of this church, not just in November, but over the years of this church. The last 25 years, you guys have given over $3 million just to missionaries that are feeding the hungry, that are sheltering orphans, that are going in and through our Southern Baptist Convention disaster relief teams after fires and floods and earthquakes and hurricanes. I mean, you guys are a part of an organization that is making a difference all around the world. And whenever I read this verse, I see you. And just like last year, we, we said, we want to give this much food. You surpassed that goal. We want to give this many toys. You surpassed that goal. We want to give away boxes of food before Thanksgiving to people in our community for free. You surpassed that goal. We said, we want to give, I forgot what we said. We were going to give 12000 or or something like that to combat human trafficking right here in our own local community, and you guys gave $50,000. It's amazing how generous you are. And do you know what you're doing whenever you're like this, whenever you are committed to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share? Paul says in verse 19, this is what's happening. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul says life, you discover, is not just about the things of this world. There's more to life than a car or a house or a flat screen TV. There's more to life than all that. Nothing wrong with those things. If you have them, enjoy them. But listen, life's more than that. And you come to recognize whenever you start giving away out of an attitude of love and generosity, and you see the difference it makes in our community, in our world, in someone else's life, you start discovering that gives you more joy and more purpose than just something that only you enjoy. And he says you also discover that life is more than this life. There's a life to come when we stand before God and when we do, we stand on a good foundation for the future. And he rewards all the good that you've done in this life. We're going to talk more about verse 19 in a few weeks, so I'm not going to belabor this now. But just put it this way, you can't outgive God. The more you give, the more God's going to bless. Maybe not in this life. 
I'm not one of those preachers that says, if you give this, God's going to double it in your bank account. No, no, that's not the way it works. But I will tell you this, you're going to stand before him one day, and he's going to reward you for everything you've done in his name, for his glory, and for the good of someone else. You say, well, I don't do it for that. That's great, but he's going to bless you anyway because he's a generous God. And, and, and do, you know, do you know who embodies verse 18 perfectly? Doing good, actually being rich in good works, being generous, being ready to share. His name was Jesus. He's the perfect picture of verse 18. And whenever Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, how did God love the world? Do you remember how John 3, 16 continues? For God so loved the world that he gave. And, and what did God give? God gave the very best that heaven had to offer. God wasn't stingy. God didn't say, isn't there something else that's too big of a sacrifice? No, God said, I love the world so much, I'm going to give my only begotten son, not just to send him into the world to be born of the Virgin Mary, to live a perfect life and to do good deeds and to heal the sick and to love the unlovely and to bring in the outcast and to preach great sermons. No, no, he did all that and so much more. But when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it means he gave him up for us on the cross of Calvary. God sacrificed his own son. And Jesus did not go to that cross as a victim. He did not go to the cross kicking and screaming. He went to the cross as a volunteer, willingly sacrificing himself for our good. And, and not just doing good, but being generous in good works. So generous, it, he gave his own life and his own blood. Tonight at the business meeting, we're going to celebrate communion and we're going to remind ourselves that he gave his body for us on that cross. And he gave his blood for us on that cross to pay the price for our forgiveness. And he rose from the dead on the third day. And the good news is, he says, for whoever believes in him, whoever puts their confidence in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, whoever puts their confidence in him to forgive them of their sin, will not perish in their sin. They won't be separated from God because of their sin. But in that moment they believe, they receive a gift. It's the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how generous our God is. That's how gracious our God is. He does it for you and for me. And if we're going to be more like him, we've got to be a church that gives. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to challenge you this month to let your giving be focused. So here's what we're going to ask you to do. Next week, we're going to ask you to come and be prepared to give a gift to that local nonprofit called Her Song that fights human trafficking, rescues women from human trafficking right here in Jacksonville, Florida. And maybe in your seat today, whenever you came in, you found this uh, little pamphlet, and it shows you that on November 1st, we're going to collect a special offering for Her Song we have a goal of $15,000, and we're going to ask every one of you to give. No matter how small the gift is, we need you to all participate so that we can rescue one more woman. Whenever we first started partnering with Her Song, they only had one home where women rescued out of trafficking, rescued out of prostitution, rescued out of horrendous situations, 
could live in only a few places, a few bedrooms for them, even in that little home. We now have two homes. Two homes for those ladies. The goal is for us to help her song actually buy property and have more room to rescue even more women to help them get back on their feet, education, vocation, spiritually, emotionally, and every penny you give is going to go to this great ministry. You'll learn more about her song next week. On the 7th and 8th, we're going to ask you to give gifts to the Florida Baptist Children's Home right here in Jacksonville. We have a goal of 300 toys, and those toys will go to children right here in our own local children's home that we help sponsor as a church. To me, that's more important than anything I give my family at Christmas. If we can help a child, that is a beautiful thing. In fact, Jesus' own brother, and uh, we call him James, and he, he wrote a letter that we've got in our Bible called the book of James. He said, you want to know what pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is? It's this, that you take care of widows and orphans, and you keep yourself unspotted from the world. Listen, we're going to give kids a great Christmas this year, and we're going to provide you a list of what those kids need and ask you to go shopping and take your whole family and do it as a family and pray for those children that you're going to bless. On November 15th, we're going to ask you to give food. Every month, we financially support a food pantry called Arlington Community Services. Every week, our church members donate food for those shelves. But we're going to ask you to help us reach a goal of 2,000 pounds of food, and you can drop them off here at our church, and we will deliver it over to Arlington Community Services. We've got a list of the food items they need at our church website, fcbc.life forward slash be rich. And then November 22nd, we're going to talk about serving with your time. And in years past, we've sent hundreds of you to local elementary schools, and we've done work that the schools have needed us to do on a Sunday afternoon. But because of the pandemic and social distancing, what we're going to do is provide you a list of local organizations that have told us we need volunteers. And we're going to encourage you as an individual or as a family or as a life group or as just a group of friends, find one of those organizations, contact them and say, you tell me when and where you want me to serve and I'll be there. That gets us out of the middleman. We want you to take advantage of using your time to serve other people. This is going to be an awesome month, and I just want to kind of give you a, an overview of what we're doing and why we're doing it and ask you right now to begin to pray and to prepare to be rich in good works. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you are doing in this church, in all of our lives, and we thank you for what you're doing through us to meet needs of other people. God, I thank you for the generosity of this church all throughout the year. But Father, we also pray that you would help us in this focused time to be more generous, more willing to share than ever before. And Father, only you can tell each one of us how we're to be a part of each one of these opportunities. And I know right now you're going to begin working in all of our hearts, inviting us to join you in meeting needs of real people in our very own community. And so, Father, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do as a result of the Be Rich campaign here at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. And yet, God, we give you all the glory, 
all the credit. We give you all the praise for the good that you're going to do because we know that anything that we do, anything that we give, is only because you first gave. The energy that we have, the money that we have, the food that we have, it all comes from you. And so we thank you that we can reflect your heart in this community by being givers. And we thank you for the privilege and the the honor of joining you and reflecting your character in this community. And Father, we do unashamedly pray that more and more people in this community will come to see not only the love of Christians, but the love of Jesus Christ. And that they will receive him as their personal Lord and Savior. And they will learn to put their hope, their trust, their confidence in him. Because he'll never leave them. He'll never forsake them. And God, there could be someone watching or listening. Or someone even right here in this room who needs Jesus as their Savior right now. I pray that they would not put it off. But today they would say, dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And right now, I put my confidence in you, not in myself, not in religion, not in doing good works. I put my confidence in Jesus, in Jesus Christ alone as my Lord and Savior. And I receive the promised gift of eternal life. And it's in his name that we all pray. And everyone said... Amen. Go to our website, learn more about Be Rich, and go to our website and take your next step in your journey with Jesus. God bless you. We'll let you be dismissed. Our ushers will help you as you make your way out.